back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. A warm welcome from you, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you with our friends at Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, our guest in this edition is a shooting star who went all the way from central Russia to the heights of the NBA and NBA All-Star, Eurobasket champion and Olympic medalist at London 2012. He's now the president of the Russian Basketball Federation. He is AK-47. Andre Karolenko, welcome to the MVP cast. Hey, hi, guys. How's everything? <laughs> we're, we're really good. Um, you join us from Los Angeles. So I guess fitting to, to ask you up front, the Lakers, the team of the moment. Um, what have you thought of these playoffs in the bubble? Uh, it's This is double double vision for me. It's from one side it's very nice because nba found find out the opportunity to keep playing especially in these tough times because uh, i remember march when everything was closed and i thought like wow uh, we're gonna lose basketball for so long but i think uh, adam silver did a great job you know find find the uh, opportunity to get everybody in the bubble and organize such a strong event i understand this is not a perfect world and it's it's very weird to to see uh, players playing without fans, because you get used to see twenty thousand fans, you know, see this energetic arenas. But I think uh, dealing with this current situation, there was a great uh, and bold move, uh, which is bring us basketball for last three months. What have you thought of the caliber of play as a, you know as a former player? You know, some people have argued it's not been as good uh, in terms of the level as as we would normally see do you see any real difference with your finely tuned eye uh definitely a lot of differences uh i wouldn't say it's it's less or like lower level uh, i would say it's a little bit weird to watch uh games with the same picture all the time <laughs> uh, which is a great picture great quality and uh, i think nba did a great job you know despite the fact that the situation they went to. But uh, again, I think for the players, it's it's a little bit easy to play when you don't have to travel, but it's harder to play because obviously it's uh, same same situation every day. They don't have their families. They sit in a bubble. They have to uh, deal with the food. You, you know that the food always the same. It's always kind of, uh, it's annoy you. I understand. I understand. They get paid, and you know, there's nothing to be whined about. Uh, and a lot of uh, players take it as a mission, like Jimmy Butler or LeBron James. Uh, they, they they take those three months as a mission, you know, to play as my as as well as possible and stay at the same spot, you know, concentrate on the basketball. But I can tell you, it's it's it, it is an issue <laughs> when you see three months in a in a hotel, you don't see your family. Uh, it's it's just it, it affects you, but at the same time it helps you to kind of you know maintain the same level. You don't have to travel. You you know you know you recovering a little bit better. You you can uh, really take care of your basketball skills. Uh, so it's different. What what I want to say it, it it's different. And uh, what we see right now we're not gonna see in the in the regular season when we see the fans when we see uh, teams traveling. 
uh, it's it's way different. Do you? I mean, you've spent most of your career overlapping with LeBron's, and you played against him at international level and in the NBA. And here he is, in his mid thirties, still arguably the best player in the game, arguably the greatest player now ever to have played the game. As someone who got to compete against him up close and personal, what has made him so special and unique? Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I've been lucky because when I came to NBA, I, I, have, I had a chance to play a little bit against Michael Jordan, then uh, Kobe Bryant, and uh, of course, uh, LeBron James. And uh, they're, they're three, in my opinion, uh, three top players ever. Even though with no disrespect to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Will Chamberlain, they also there. But uh, those three, because I played against them. You know, I didn't play against uh, Wilt or I didn't play against Bill Russell, but I played against those those three guys. And uh, they, with LeBron James, I think being in such a great shape and being a machine, being such a such a specimen of the athlete for so long, and uh, growing up every year with with the intelligence. Uh, it's just like right now at age of how many, like 17 years he's NBA, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, being at the 17th year of his career in the NBA and uh, being with the same body, but with a, such a uh, such intelligent head and adding with those years of experience. Uh, he's like a professor on the floor, but being uh, being like a track and field athlete. You got. Uh, I mean, you got to play. I mean, you talked about the athleticism. I mean, you you only played against old Michael Jordan, Washington Michael Jordan in the NBA. But I I mean, can you in any way pick a who's the best? It's it's impossible to pick who's the best. And again, like if I ask my uh, grandpa, he would say Bill Russell was the best, or Kareem (laughs) Abdul-Jabbar. I'm, I'm telling you, like, like I, I grew up on the, at the time of Michael Jordan, and when I was a kid, I was watching Michael Jordan. So, of course, I would say Michael Jordan. If I ask my kid, he would say, "Oh no, LeBron James for sure," or, St- or Steph Curry. Uh, it's it's just different times and different heroes, different uh, different uh, icons. And uh, at this point, I I'm. I'm pretty sure that LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they're all in the same league. Like, you, you, you can you can add, uh, you can say like, okay, Michael Jordan went to finals six times and he won six. Yeah, sure. But LeBron James has been in ten finals. Hmm. He, he won a little bit less, but he, ten times he went to the best game of the season. And he's there. He's at 17 years uh, in NBA, and he's still playing on the highest level, being almost an MVP. In my opinion, he's right there, and uh, it's it's impossible to diminish his his achievements. Same with like uh, you coming back uh, in times and Bill Russell, who won like 13 times or 11 times. This is this is amazing, and uh, to try to figure out who's the best of them all, it's impossible. You have to put them in the same age then the same uh, age or how you say like timeline mm. 
then you can figure out who's the best of them. But they're in a different timeline. It's impossible to figure out who's the best. It's a great debate, you know, we, though. It's fun lucky, to have. We, we are lucky, <laughs> lucky to watch right now LeBron James playing. Yeah, it is I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I had the chance to play against him. <laughs> you, I mean, when you go back to go back to 99, I mean, you were fresh round picked by the Jazz where you, you ended up spending 10 years, but you were really part of that new wave of European players. So Dirk came in the year before, Tony Parker and Pau Gasol came in you know, in the years subsequently. At that point in time, I mean, that was still the kind of end of that era where Europeans weren't seen as very tough. They weren't seen as very you know, skilled. They weren't seen as mentally, they were seen as mentally weak. How great when you came in was that lack of understanding still about the different skill sets the different mindsets that Europeans would bring to the NBA. Yeah, I think I think I'm lucky, but at the same time, I think it was a pioneering time for the for the international athletes and international basketball players in the NBA. And uh, I remember that time, you know, when we when we came in, everybody thought like, ah, oh, you know, like skinny guys, like what are they going to bring because this is athletic league. But then, like, oh, okay, look, they can play. Okay, he understands the game, but because because you know European style of the basketball is a little bit different, and that's for sure. Uh, and if you take a look at the Europe, uh, different countries in Europe have a different style. Like for example, Spain, Spain uh, playing like very fast basketball. Uh, French players they're more physical and uh, technical. Uh, Russian players uh, in Eastern Europe they more they more uh, all around players. They know each position. Like like they they can play from point guard to the center with the same skills, like requires for for this particular player or for this particular position. And it's very interesting. Like when uh, NBA finally start getting players from all, all across the world, and uh, they they add to the NBA style those those unique styles of the country or mentality. And uh, then I remember like after. A year or a couple of years uh, when I came into the NBA, Yao Ming. So they brought like some some Chinese basketball. Uh, Manu Ginobili came in. Uh, he brought some of South America European <laughs> mix into the into the equation. Uh, Anderson Varijal came in, uh, brought the Brazil style. It, and it's it's very interesting to see how how NBA. Uh, benefit from it because it's not only a game style and the sport uh, side of the business, but they brought uh, commercial side of the business because the whole world uh, followed, start following uh, they, 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 uh, the play players they came from, uh, the countrymen, the fellow men. And uh, I think it became uh, really global uh, because of that, because every country had the chance to cheer for their own. In the, in, the, in the best league in the world. You talk about, I mean, Russian players bringing a particular kind of, of talent. I mean, you, we always think a lot about the Russian sporting system, going back to the days of, of, of the Soviet Union. How was the system in, in Russia unique for you in terms of the way that you were developed as a player growing up? Uh, well, uh, I grew up in the Soviet Union system, uh, like back in the days, and uh until 1991, I believe, uh, from 1991, 92, when it was split and they, it, it turned, the, it 
shift into the Russian Federation instead of USSR. And uh, when I when I was young, it was it was pretty fun. Uh, when 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 I was playing against the same age group uh, guys from all over the country, uh, we had a lot of like different festivities. Uh, not only uh, with the basketball, like I remember my first tournament I played at the age of ten. Uh, when we played. Uh, different teams with the basketball. Then we had like a technical uh, conditioning, then physical conditioning, then uh, captains, uh, then coaches has to compete against each other with the knowledge. So it was it was like a great festivity, uh, like a, like a, uh, it's it's hard to describe. Uh, it's, it was not only basketball what we've been uh, challenging each other, uh, and the b- basketball was only one of. Uh, like one of the different uh, directions that that you compete in. Uh, later on, when it uh, shifted into the Russian Federation, uh, we just continue. I think continue on the on the on the, uh, on the sports system of the USSR. Mm. And uh, I think only in uh, 2005, 2010, those five years, I think, it finally shifted into the. Mm. Uh, because before it was more uh, USSR style of the uh, preparation. When you came into the NBA, and of course Jerry Sloan, who sadly died earlier this year, was was your head coach. And how tough was it to convince him of of what you could do for that team? Uh, it wasn't tough at all because uh, he was he was a great coach. Uh, he was very disciplined and actually he reminds me the old uh, generation of ussr coaches <laughs> <laughs> very strict very disciplined uh, they really they know what they want from you and uh, coach long was this kind this type of the coach he really knows what he wants and uh, he always appreciate when you when you, when you worked hard and uh, since my youth, I've been always, you know, trying to get my best on the practice and in the game. So it really find I find the right coach. <laughs> he appreciates that. That's why I think that's why uh, I get the chance to play. And of course, you played famously in Utah alongside our, our very own John Amici. I mean, I'm, he talks about you in his his book very kindly as one of his favorite teammates. I mean, share with us your recollections of, of Meech. I mean, were you forced to drink tea? What was it like to play with him? Well, I, I, I've never been forced to drink the tea. If you, if you know, <laughs> we're very close with with the Great Britain here. Russia, Russia is a very big fan of tea. We just drink it not with the milk. <laughs> That's the only difference. <laughs> We love tea, and like when uh, John was offering me a tea, I said, "Like, sure, of course, I like tea." <laughs> so there was there wasn't an issue for, for sure for the Russian uh, for the Russian man. What was he like though as a teammate? There, ah, he was a great teammate. A- actually, he was the reason why I got uh, forty-seven, because uh, my 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 favorite uh, number for the jersey always been thirteen, because my mom played thirteen. And uh, when I came to Utah, I was drafted. Uh, I I took 13, but then uh, John Amici was signed by Utah after this fact. And because he's a veteran, he has a chance to choose the number of the jersey. So he picked 13, and I was like, "Uh oh, I need to change mine." And uh, one of my uh, 
friends in the team at that time uh he said like oh look you need to pick the number like why don't you pick 47 you andre <laughs> kirilenko ak and uh, 47 ak 47 this is a russian rifle i'm like oh sure let's try <laughs> and uh, i've tried this and later in effect i figure out that ak-47 was invented by the mikhail kalashnikov who was who who who, who did this in izhevsk izhevsk is the city where i was born so i was like oh oh like everything going like into the <laughs> the same pot and it all and came together thanks to john ak-47 was born <laughs> i remember sitting down with you at NBA All-Star, LA, 2004. And the first thing I remember is hardly anyone wanted to talk to you, which was incredibly surprising. Everyone was crowding around. I think it was Kobe Bryant or someone else, which was unsurprising at the time. But you seemed, when we spoke, genuinely delighted, more delighted than any other player to be at that game. How big a deal was it for you to earn that recognition? I mean, of course, it's a big deal. And uh, being a Russian who joined the league, uh, being the only Russian ever uh, participating in the All-Star game, uh, being around uh, basically 24 best players in the world at that point, uh, it's it's a huge deal. And, uh, you know, being around the guys like Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, my my fellow mates from from Europe like Dirk Nowitzki, international guys like Yao, uh, Stajakovic, uh, it's 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 a huge deal and uh, not only for your own benefit but I feel like I feel like the whole country uh, proud of me and uh, the whole generation of the young kids. Uh, because I remember myself when I was a kid, I was looking for for the guys who's playing on the highest level. And that time it was Arvidas Sabonis who played on the highest level, uh, Marcellonis who played on the high level. Uh, and you always like look at them and like, wow. And they, they had a chance to play the NBA. And NBA for, for the little kid in Russia was like, it's like a paradise, uh, you know, like or like space. You, you, you can't even imagine, you know, Michael Jordan played there. Oh my God, this is a space. And right now you are playing at the all-star game alongside with the players you usually watch on the TV. This is like beyond imaginable. Uh, this, you, you just like you, you can't even breathe. Like my first first time I remember like when I was called uh, to just being represented on the all-star game. I remember my breath was, <gasps> I couldn't breathe because it was such an emotional uh, situation and it was such an emotional uh move because your dream came through and came through not only playing nba but being an all-star game and uh i can understand what what the uh, what the little kids in russia are right now thinking it's possible it's not it's not a space you can be there you can play on a high level and you can be uh playing alongside uh best players in the world and uh, it's doable basically did you so get... i was i was so did, did, yeah, you, did you get to the end? I mean, there was that ending where you know, you, you effectively stopped playing for, for, for Brooklyn and the Nets. And obviously there was the trade at, yeah, at the very end to go to the Sixers, but not, not mm -hmm. playing there. I mean, a lot of players like to have that clean ending where you can kind of say goodbye in a sense. Did it ever really bother you not to have the sort of exit on the absolutely perfect way that you might have liked? Uh, 
yes and no. Uh, at that, that time, uh, you you know, you have to be brave and t- talk to yourself. You know, you have to understand like what you can bring to the table. And at that time, like playing one year, second year, I I basically see that I cannot be the same beneficial f- to the team, to the to the basketball as I was before. And of course, at that time, you start thinking like, okay, that's that's probably enough. You know, th- right now at this point, there's nothing to prove. I understand that probably I could go to the team and chase the title and you know be as good as possible. But but again, like uh, I wanted to be honest to m- with myself first. And uh, when you're honest with yourself, you understand like you're not gonna be a factor for winning the championship. You're not gonna. Yeah, you can be a little bit of value, but it, it's not that you're gonna win this this title. And at that time, you know, yeah, I was thinking about that. I have to do my best to finish my career. And uh, when when the when that uh, trade happened with the Brooklyn and Philadelphia, I had a clear understanding that 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 uh, Philadelphia supposed to uh, just just cut me and. Uh, I would be finishing my career in Russia with my Russian team. And uh, that happened, and uh, I was just uh, making that into my last season in Moscow. And uh, after that, I finished my career. Was was there one moment, if you had to pick one moment or one highlight of your NBA career to kind of hang everything on, what would it be? Uh, highlight of the career... It's it's very hard to describe only one highlight because uh, I think the highlight of my career it's it's the Utah Jazz and my ten years with with Jerry with uh, Phil Johnson uh, with with the organization uh, because I I grew up as a as a man of the court and I grew up as a player on the court uh, because. Uh, playing in Salt Lake City with a, such a fans, with a, such a structure and the organization, I think this is the highlight of my career. And uh, everything that comes after is like making an all-star game or being uh, top blocks, blocking shots in the league or making like a defensive teams. Uh, this is this is more individual trophies, but it, this is not describe who am I. But but playing in for the organization in such a great environment, it is. And, and I feel like uh, Utah Jazz or Salt Lake City as a city uh, really uh, nurture me uh, into the player or into a man I am right now. Uh, bringing the right uh, priorities and the, with the family. It's a very family-oriented city. Uh, my kids were born there. Uh, I had a lot of friends there, a lot of like right, uh, right set of mind. I, I, I believe that that Salt Lake City brought the right set of mind into my head. <laughs> <laughs> Three Olympic appearances. I mean, playing playing for your national team always very special. But that medal in London, twenty twelve, and you you know you you finally got that Olympic medal, be on the Olympic podium. I mean, how significant was that for you personally? Uh, very significant. <laughs> very, and when I say very, because uh, uh, in Russia, when when you grow up, uh, there's, you know, like in, in every sport, you have a, uh, you have a uh, ladder of 
success? Like what what event would brings the most joy into your sport? And for the for the football, it's a World Cup. Winning the World Cup is the top event in the world, and you know, getting this trophy, it's the biggest deal. In the basketball, it's Olympic Games, and uh, I grew up and all my uh, same age with me, the guys who grew up with me, we thought the Olympics, it's the number one sport event in the world. And we wanted to be there. We wanted to just participate. We don't even talk about winning, even though we, you know, we always thinking about winning. Now, just the participation uh, on the, Olympi- the Olympics game uh, is a huge deal. And uh, growing up with this idea, and finally making uh, my first appearance in the 2000 in Sydney. I was a young kid, 19 years old, uh, who went to Australia for the Olympics. It was a huge deal. Even though we didn't uh, we didn't play it well, we lost, I believe, in the quarterfinal. Uh, it still was a great uh, experience for me. And uh, I, I thought like, wow, this is the best event in the world i wanted to be here over and over and over and over as much as i can and uh f- next time i only made it in 2008 we unfortunately we lost in uh, 2003 and we didn't make uh, athens in 04 but uh uh we we won the european uh, championship in 07 so we made uh, 08 in beijing and uh, f- finally we we we, we played uh, in this, in a no, in a set of mind when you're already in a player in your prime, and uh, you you know how to play basketball, not the young kid, and we still haven't been successful. And we still, uh, I believe, we won only one game in the group, and uh, we didn't qualify it for the for the playoff. And uh, it was it was a shock for us because we've been uh, European Championship, at the, we won the European Championship at that point, and uh, of course. Uh, not making out of the group it was a huge hit. Uh, but uh, I'm happy that, that the team really, uh, really go over it. And uh, on the next Olympics in, in London in 12, 2012, uh, we, we pick it up and we went uh, all the way until the uh, medal games and uh, won the bronze medal. I mean, athletes always remember Olympics for, for different reasons. And, you know, obviously there's the wins and the losses that you take away. But what's what was your memory of London? If we, if we take out that, that standing on the podium and that third place bronze medal game, but what do you sort of remember about that experience? Uh in my opinion, it was like most fun games for me, at least because it was in Europe, and I love London uh, just just because just just without even without sport, without Olympics, I love to be in London. I love uh, Great Britain as a culture, and uh, for me, it's always I grew up on uh, on this fairy tales or, or tales of uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, <laughs> and uh, such a, such such a things as uh, Oliver Twist and uh, Tom Sawyer, <laughs> like different, different stories uh, by different uh, authors. Uh, but, but again, uh, my, my best memories about Olympics is not in London. My best memories in, in, uh, in Beijing, because in Beijing, uh, I was granted an honor by my, by my country to be a flag bearer for the national team. And, and, and flag barrier uh, on the opening ceremony when you represent not 
your sport, but you represent the whole uh, sport team of Russia. And uh, I think this is the huge honor that you can have and the biggest honor that you can have by your country when they uh, when they uh, uh, give you this opportunity to represent all athletes. And this is a big deal. This is the that, that is living career. the dream. This is, this is the highlight of my career, not winning titles or even though it's nice to win titles and win medals, but being able to hold the flag and bear the flag for your national team, I think this is the biggest uh, honor that you can have. David Black was such a big influence for that Russian team in 2012. And were you surprised? I mean, I, I, we can't really say that he didn't do well in the NBA because he went to the NBA finals, but were you surprised? <laughs> in the first year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not bad. A lot of coaches would kill for that. But, I mean, were you surprised that he didn't translate fully into the NBA? Uh, <laughs> I think he, he uh, translates fully into NBA. Again, it's my opinion. Hmm. And uh, a lot of people think like, oh, they, they won't let him to, to show everything he can. And uh, I'm, I'm very subjective here because I know David. I know the way he's uh, coaching. And uh, in my opinion, he's one of the best coaches in the world. He allowed players to play the way they want it and the way they can. And uh, he's trying. He, he's the coach who tried to bring the best sides from the player, not to hide them. And uh, I'm, I'm sure he can, he can be uh, a coach for any team in NBA. He's ready for it. And uh, I'm, I'm just surprised that after Cleveland, he never had a chance or believe or trust uh, by, by other organizations, at least to try him, try him on, because he's a really great coach. And he's a really nice guy. One of my favorite people in basketball, David Black. Um, it's maybe a coincidence or not, but after you stepped away and then he stepped away, there was a real decline for Russia, for, for men and for the women after that period. And you, it's a very proud basketball nation, a great history. You're now the president of the federation. What were you able to identify as the kind of cause for that? And what's what's the solution been to to really bring Russia back to the, the, the very, very top group of nations in international basketball? Uh, what, what I figure out that uh, for, for the last few years, uh, and if, if you take a look at our generation, uh, we, we basically been a generation uh, who, who was born in 1981, so right before the split of the USSR and mm. Russia. So basically, all 20 years after that, it was it wasn't a Russian basketball. It's still it's still a basketball of heritage of USSR. And uh, why we had such a big gap after uh, 12 and uh, basically now, because we had the uh, product of generation ge- generationally of basically like eight or seven players. And after that, we have a huge gap. So uh, it's all about kids, you know. Like you, you can basically you can you can go right now and say like, okay, everything is good right now, uh, and our national team gonna be good because we're gonna pick somebody. You can't pick somebody because there is no generation 
who's able to play on this high level, who who have seen uh, or played against uh, best best uh, best generation, which is uh, grew up at that time. So what we what we what we've been able to do right now, is, and and you see our results not this summer but last summer, mm. because our girls won the 16 uh, European Championship, and uh, 16 years old boys, they first time ever. They made uh, into the World Cup. Our 20 years old, uh, I think, won the silver medal in Europe. So, so it was a very successful year for the for the for our reserves. But but it take takes us about four years to to get there uh, because what we, what we did is like uh, usually when you have your like national team uh, or federation uh, have have a hands on the first team at 16 years old. Like 16 years old is the first team which has start participating in the European competitions, and uh, next year uh, they participate in a world competition if they qualify. So, so what we did is like before, w- before I came in, uh, federation was picking uh, the best kids in in Russia at 16 years old, and come and come into the European uh, championship or European events, and at that time. For the first time, our kids start facing uh, the same age kids from Spain, from uh, Germany, from France, from uh, Lithuania, and uh, and they start losing because they never had the experience to play against uh, international kids. So what we did is like we start uh, get everybody together two years before 16 at about 14 years old. So at 14 years old, we're trying to present them with opportunity. And this is a costly opportunity because it, it takes a lot of resources to pay for the teams. Because at this point, uh, the government not involved in uh, in budgeting or sponsoring uh, kids teams. So we have to find the partners, which is uh, uh, commercial partners, who's, who are going to be able to pay those money for the national teams to travel around uh, Europe or around the world. And have those necessary experience, and uh, it it really brings a lot of help to us because uh, they start playing against Spanish teams. For example, I remember our first year when they start playing, they lose by like 35, 40 points, and when they get back to Russia, they're like, okay, we've seen what they do, we've seen what they can. They start practicing, and and in about a year, at 15 years old, they come to play against the same teams. They're losing by 15 points. And then 16 years old, when they play in Euro Challenge, they're already playing like a competitive game because they've seen those teams for two years already. They know this age, they know this generation, and they get used to play. It's basically when you play against LeBron James since 14 years old, you would not be afraid of him to play against him on 25. Mm. How tough is that to do in practice in a country that is so big as Russia? It's very hard. And, and the logistics, logistics is a huge, uh, huge problem for us. Because, for example, uh, Serbia is a great country with the basketball. Lithuania, great country for basketball. And uh, why is that easy? Because basically one school or sports school, they can take a bus. And, uh, and just go in two hours, they're in a different city, they're playing against different schools and having an experience. 
it's impossible to do it like if you're talking about russia uh from ural mountains and east because to get from one school to another school you have to <laughs> get on the plane that's why that's why uh in russia like moscow region or moscow uh, uh or saint petersburg they always a leading regions uh in the basketball because one city is like a whole country like for example moscow size is like uh, serbia you know what i'm saying so so we, we have in moscow a lot of teams they playing against each other they're taking the subway or they're taking a bus they're taking a car by the with the parent and they go into the games and they have a lot of school there so they play in, and they always have like a a full-size event but if you take a look uh to the uh, go and, and go to the little region they have like two schools they always playing against each other but they need more they need more uh challenges we present them those challenges but it's only once a year when they play uh russian championship and and they don't have an opportunity to play on a regular base uh a lot of competitive uh, games that's that that's that's the big issue I mean, we've seen I mean, you coming in as president. Um, we've seen in Spain, Jorge Garbajosa is the president there. In France, Boris Dia, Tony Parker is very involved with the federation. I mean, how how significant do you think it is for a for former great players to be involved, to come back, to share that knowledge, and and I guess to be the the face of of a federation and the sport. Again, uh, what's the, what's the question? I mean, for you, like, was but, was it important for you to do that? Uh, it is important, and uh, again, um, when I was finishing my career in uh, uh, 2015, uh, and uh, there was a the opportunity of becoming president uh, presents, uh, I was thinking about all that experience that I have uh, since age of seven when i started you know <laughs> when i came to the uh sports school and start uh doing uh basketball a and after that i went through the all stages i played for the sports school i played for the university team i played for the sport internet uh, which is sport internet is like a structure when you get the best players selected it's like a selected camp for the for the best players in the region uh, then playing for the professional team, then played for the national team, played in NBA, and uh, finally being uh, a captain of the national team, the major national team, and uh, bearing the flag for the Olympics. So, so I kind of went through the every stage, and I've seen what kind of little problems we can fix at this at this stage. Again, it's it, it doesn't mean that I'm a super smart man who. Who knows how to address every problem? No, it's not. And uh, I'm a strong believer that that in in the basketball in Russia, uh, we we we're not going to be able to do much without our regions first. If our regions are not active, we're not going to go anywhere. And without uh, enthusiastic people on the spot, because we can't be sitting and waiting that okay, uh, right now government has to help us. We have to be proactive. We have to uh, come out, uh, build a little uh, outside court. We have to talk with the with our kids uh, and uh, their parents if they wanted to bring the kid uh, uh, to start basketball. We have to uh, we have to bring people to the stands, but again, not 
just because they, they should. We have to make our product, uh, which is basketball, uh, fun. Mm -hmm. Fun and uh, make people want it to be there instead of just, you know, kind of force them to be there. Let's and, talk. Uh, I think for the, for the last five years, we, we really uh, brought a lot of opportunities for the people who likes basketball and who wants to develop basketball. It's impossible to develop a basketball only by president or it doesn't matter how strong our federation is. It's all about the uh, enthusiastic and activist people on the spots. It's, it's a huge country and imagine uh, it's, it's impossible to fix basketball, for example, in Vladivostok or <laughs> Novosibirsk or Yekaterinburg by being Andrei Kirilenko, who's, whose office in Moscow. Yeah, we can, we can visit uh, Vladivostok five, six times a year, but it's not going to fix the problems that they have on the spot. So it's all about the regional federation who's there, who always, who's been active and proactive and uh, always bugging us in a good way, bugging us and uh, and present us with ideas and uh, present us with a particular thing that they need for, for support uh, to make this idea work. Let's talk about another issue um, which affects Russian basketball, affects Russian sport. You've been very active on social media lately talking about the conversation around Russian doping scandals and of course you know people will think back to the winter olympics in sochi in 2014 and the doping at a systematic level that you uncovered by world anti-doping agents i mean russian for people as uh, who don't fully appreciate we are, will be banned from the tokyo olympics next summer and other global sporting events beyond that as it stands i mean the appeal due to go to the, the court of arbitration for sport and um, but unless it's overturned russian athletes not able to compete under the russian flag as a proud Russian, as a as a, a former Olympian, or you're always Olympian, so an Olympian, mm -hmm. and as someone who's who has competed at the very highest level and is now involved in in Russian sport, how do you view what has emerged in recent years? I mean, it's very sad uh, to see an athletes in Russia who's never been uh, done any doping or never been involved in anything like that. They uh, they punished for something they never done. And uh, they lose an opportunity to represent the country uh, at the Olympics, uh, like uh, Maria Lasitskene, uh, our high jumper. I, I know her personally, and uh, when, I, when I see what she's going through, I, I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm so sad uh, because, you know, I've been granted this opportunity to be at the best, as I, say, as I told you about ladder for the every sport. Olympic is the number one sport. Uh, and uh, and uh, and right now she doesn't have opportunity to to be at the Olympics. This is wrong. I mean, and uh, I'm b believe me, I'm a strong uh, and intolerable uh, for the for the people who's uh, who's uh, cheating, who's using uh, doping uh, to to reach the the best results. Uh, I think they have to be punished. I think they they have to be suspended and never be able to to participate in the events. But but uh, when we're talking about people who never done it, like it's it's just how, like I'm always it's unfair. Uh, it, it cannot be because we we what I see right now is a lot of like talking about collective, collective punishment, collective punishment. Like what are we talking about? What what collective punishment? Like there is there is a, so many 
it's a huge problem. Like doping is a huge problem in the world, not only in Russia, mm-hmm. but if you take a look uh, around the world, oh my God, there's so many people who are trying to cheat uh, and uh, using doping, but we're not uh, we're not punishing uh, countries. We're punishing people who's using who's who's using uh, uh, prohibited substances or how you say. It. How you say substances? Yeah, substances. Yeah, do you, yeah substances. I mean, like, for at... example, uh, like I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Come yeah, on. Interrupt you here. Like one of my favorite athletes is Marion Jones. Mm. I was, I was, in, I was uh, in love with uh, with the way. As we all were, yeah. In the, in the Olympics, uh, but but then she she even went to jail for this. It was a huge scandal. I remember the scandal. She she was a. Uh, uh, she was. Uh, she said that yes, she she used the substances, and then she went to jail. I was. My heart was broken. Or well, Lance Armstrong. I mean, uh, huge athletes with the huge names. Uh, they've been. Uh, they've been. Uh, uh, they've been accused on this, and they said they did it, and it's a it's a big deal. But nobody punished countries for this. Mm. Does it anger and you? Does what it, I find out is unfair. Does it anger you that it, there is obviously a small group of people who were looking at this system? Does it anger you as an athlete that those people undid, undid a lot of the good work that the athletes themselves did, cleaner athletes? Uh, it is. It is anger me because I'm trying to again imagine myself twenty years ago. Imagine uh, Andre Kirilenko right now. 17 18 years old and this situation going on and i'm prohibited from playing at the olympics so probably there's no 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 ak-47 in the basketball world <laughs> just just because uh somebody said okay it's the country's fault uh, right now you can't play and uh, i know i'm not doing anything like how come why that's that's the normal question i think right now there is a in the skateboarding there is a kid Who's who's supposed to be uh, de- debuted in at, at Tokyo? Uh, I think he's like 12, 13 mm. years old. I just I just read like a couple of days ago. He was six years old when it was uh, Sochi. So how come he's uh, he's supposed to be a victim of this particular situation when he's he was six years old? What kind of benefits he could get there back then? I mean, this is just wrong, and I think uh, I think uh, it's good right now that you know, with with even us talking right now, uh, we can we can kind of raise attention and bring people uh, a little bit closer to understanding that it is a problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem; it is a problem in our country. It is a problem. So is in the world. It's a big problem uh, for the doping. We need to fight this for sure. But it can't be affecting Atlas, which has never been involved in this. You, I mean, you travel a lot, and obviously you, you spend a lot of your life in the US as well. Do you feel that there is enough of an understanding inside Russia of the kind of negative way the rest of the world is perceives these issues? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, there is a little misconception. Even even with my friends, sometimes uh, it is a misconception because there is certain stereotypes about the country. And uh, when, when I when I'm watching the TV, 
for example, it, it's it's very interesting because uh, I never really thought about until like last probably three, four months when I'm kind of tired a little bit of talking about <laughs> this issue. But I'm, try, I'm trying to realize like what if, if the TV is on and uh, in U.S., uh, and they're talking about Russia. What they talking about Russia? I never heard, and it's interesting. Uh, I never heard positive news mm. about Russia. It's like always, like when I see Russia, it's it's not a lot. It's not a lot of news about Russia. For example, in in American TV, but every time when I see it, it's like uh, re- uh, election uh, involvement, uh, Russian hackers, uh, pussy riots, uh, doping scandal. I never heard anything like positive. And this is always weird because when <laughs> I watching, for example, uh, news about France, okay, so here is a good news, here is a bad news about Great Britain. Good news, bad news. It's always like uh, balance. There is some, some good stuff going on, there is some bad stuff going on. This It's normal. And, and when, when I talk about Russia, it's always like a bad news. And uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say, say that, that the people in the U.S. are trying to, you know, find out something about Russia. Because even my friends, they always like, oh, you know, we heard in Russia there's a mafia or there is a vodka or there is a bear, <laughs> there is a balalaika. So there is a stereotypes. And uh, I feel like still media sometimes present that Russia is a big bad bear <laughs> not, big, big, not, not big bad wolf but big big bad bear and uh, it, it's it's interesting because uh, i think here is the misconception because beforehand we're trying to look for something negative instead of trying to find something good there's a lot of good things in russia so would you and say i mean within that i think it's a misconception would you say though i mean i Obviously, as someone who is now heading a federation, what have you I mean during your period now, having had learnings with what has gone on? What have you done? I mean, let's let's look at Russian basketball for you. What have you done, or what have you had to do to be better in this area of education? Perhaps is probably the big thing for younger people, and 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 making changes in the way your sport approaches this issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, again, uh, when 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 we face this issue, and uh, for us the biggest deal is we have to educate our younger generation. So uh, all we can do is basically bring the awareness to them. So every time when we have our events, we always bring in like a memory cards that you can't do this, you cannot do this. Uh, be careful with what you're eating, what you're drinking. If somebody approaching you, please let us know right away. So th- this is like a basic things. Uh, and I think uh, uh, VADA and uh, at some point RUSADA, the Russian agency, they always bring us a lot of information on uh, things that, that, that prohibit it. And uh, if, if we take a look uh, for the last five years, I don't believe we even face even even one uh, accident with somebody uh, in this in this field uh, I think people aware and especially you know right now you don't even have to aware because it's all over the news you can see it from the from the west uh, west media from the our local media they're always talking about this so uh, I think people aware uh, and again uh, from the from the testing standpoint, we have a strict regulation from the FIBA, 
which is the uh, international uh, governance in the basketball. So all the protocols and all the programs in place, we are in a very close connection with our colleagues from the World uh, Bureau and the European side of the Bureau. Uh, so anytime there is, a, there is a question going on, it addresses right away. Are you confident, and here we are, if assuming the Olympics can still go ahead next year, we're yeah, seven, eight months away from that. Are you confident that Rusade in particular, but also those other federations, track and field, I guess, foremost, have done enough that when this people make a judgment on this, that Russia, in a sense, can stand up and say, you know, we have done better. We deserve this place at the Games again. Uh, all I can say is uh, that that there is a huge work going on and huge uh, changes going on. Uh, what I see in the political and sport, sport when, when you're talking about like sports politics, uh, not politics, politics, sports politics, because I'm uh, basically I'm working in the field with my colleagues from a different uh, sports uh, presidents of the football federation, volleyball, handball, uh, and so on. Uh, I can see there is a huge changes going on. Again, uh, I'm I'm not really involved in the Rusada uh, actions, like what are they doing, and it's hard for me to uh, to really describe the work what they're doing. But what I see from the from the from this field, uh, I can see there is a lot of people gets involved. A lot of people wanted to help. A lot of people uh, see there is a problematic. Uh, that needs to be addressed, and it is addressed. And I can see there is a there is a lot of connections and a lot of uh, partnerships with the VADA and the, with the world uh, organizations uh, in the, in this particular question and in this particular field. But again, sometimes I think they uh, they face in, an obstacle with this perception of the media uh, that that really stop in the process uh, and uh, when when the media start uh, talking about like collective punishment and it really affects everybody in Russia because everybody like wow well, like how come like we're doing everything we can we're trying to be better we're trying to address this issue but we we still under the microscope and even though I'm uh, I'm a clean athlete I still have a chance not to go to the Olympics. I think this is this issue has to be split it apart. Like for sure, we need to keep working uh, on, on uh, restoring the good name, restoring the good system. But split the clean athletes, and you know, like you can't even talk about them uh, losing the opportunity to be at the Olympics. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like this is this is a little bit different issue. I see. It's not the issue of uh, working on the, uh, working on the fixing uh, the previous problems and accusing or not letting uh, clean athletes to participate. Let's finish up with something that, a bit that, that more. Might be, that's my view, at least. Like I, I, <laughs> I think that that has to be, uh, that has to be decided differently. <laughs> on these topics, I know it's very com uh, complex, and uh, I'm I'm not the only one who's who has a problem with this. <laughs> let's 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 finish up with something a little more fun 
unexciting. Um, you obviously you're in LA now. You're with, you're with your wife and and kids. What, obviously, apart from Russian basketball and and trying to to make things better for kids back at home. But what's what's retirement been like for Andre Karolenko? What else are you doing to fill your time? Ah. Uh. <laughs> Uh, there, there's a lot of things. Uh, I mean, one is a job, uh, which is, um, start doing with the Russian basketball federation and, uh, with the kids, uh, of, of the job, uh, I have four kids and, uh, they all way different, uh, scale of what they are doing. Like my, my elder, uh, right now he went to the university. He's very academically, uh, he, his head is very academically set. Uh, my second son, he's uh, 12 years old. Uh, actually, 13. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's, he grew up it goes so fast. fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he he's uh, he plays hockey, so he he can be a hockey player, and he's playing very well. Uh, I think he's gonna go professionally. We'll see on what kind of level he can play, but uh, he I think he can go professionally. Uh, my daughter, she's 11, and she's uh, she just loved to dance. Uh, and the new generation, they're using all the social network like TikToks and Instagrams. So they're doing like little clips, dancing with their friends. And uh, my four years, uh, my five years old, uh, he's he's just a kid. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't decided a he's career yet. A kid. He's just having fun. <laughs> and have you got? I mean, have you? got a business interest now or you know what is what is the kind of focus for you person um i'm i'm very happy that uh i've been able to uh, move my foundation my kirilenko skits foundation in in russia and uh right now for the last uh five years we've been able to build around 20 25 different uh sport courts around russia uh, so what we're doing is like once a year, we're doing a big fundraising and, uh, during the year we building around like five, five, six, uh, basketball courts around Russia. And I'm very, very happy about it. And, uh, uh, different regions, uh, about summer or some about summertime, they open in a new court, which is great. And, uh, there is another other things which is uh, makes me happy because i remember when i was grow up it was always uh you go on the outside and you're like ah this 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 is a good court but but the broken baskets something wrong and right now you know being able to build or rebuild those courts and uh give uh, kids opportunity to kind of enjoy their youth uh makes me happy so one day soon, out of those courts, we might see, I don't know what you've got, AK-48. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I hope so. Hey, we need the we need a next generation of the high-level players. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andre, thanks for, you, for stopping by with us. Good luck in all the work on and off the court and uh, continued success with it. That is it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Search for them on Google or give them a wee follow on social media, please, at TE Compliance Limited. You can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe via your podcast provider of choice. Please, though, do leave us a review on yours 
preferably a nice one. Or if you want to get in touch with me, reach out via Twitter at Mark Bitbull or via our Facebook page. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But from me, Mark Woods, thank you very much for listening and it's goodbye for now. <laughs>